You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. No, I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host. Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Super Bowl is over. NFL season is over. Moving forward, the offseason with all the quarterbacks available, with all the defensive players and offensive players available, this should be an interesting offseason. Speedy Petey, how is your weekend going? Well, I stuffed myself with a lot of food at the Super Bowl party. My cousin's aunt and uncle threw pulled pork, wings, all kinds of chicken. And I wasn't invited. <laughs> you could have been, but you probably had a fun Super Bowl party as well. That you yes, had, so. I hung out with the beef. By the way, <laughs> beef won about $7,000 at this Super Bowl as well. I think I'm his lucky charm. He won 50000 two years ago. I wasn't with him last year because of COVID. And now this year I was back with him again. He won $7,000. So maybe I'm his lucky charm. And apparently he doesn't give you any of the money. So. None. Zero. Zilch. Classic beef. I get nothing. Thank you, beaver. If you don't know Mike from Bayshore, we call him the Beef. He looks like Leave It to Beaver. Yes, he he's very lucky, and it seems like I'm his lucky winner. Well, uh, but I get nothing. He can celebrate all the money he gets all he wants because he mm. won't be able to celebrate the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. No, not yet. It's so funny. I know a lot of Cowboy fans, and they all think that the Cowboys they need to make a little move here and a little move there, and they'll be in the Super Bowl just like the Rams. This I'm... is their year. <laughs> it's always their year. <laughs> I'm a Jet fan, so I, I can't say that I'm a lucky fan either. Hey, because... but think of it. This way, though. Jets conference championship appearances in the 21st century. Two. Cowboys conference championship appearances. Zero. Yeah, well, they, they haven't won anything. The Cowboys at least won three Super Bowls in the last 30 years. The Jets haven't won a Super Bowl in 51 years. And I never got a chance to see them win that Super Bowl, so it doesn't benefit me. It only... Don't worry, when time travel exists, it'll yeah. be the first place you go. Yeah, probably. Because it'll probably be the only time I get a chance to experience it. Maybe that'll be different this offseason with Zach Wilson not having a girlfriend, breaking up with his girl. Braxton Berrios, he says something interesting on social media. But before we get into that... How do you like the weather? And the weather's crazy right It now. is weird. So we had this brutal storm, right? And then all of a sudden I wake up, it's like bright out. It looks like spring. Yes. <laughs> it's it, weird. The weather's been pretty good. The Olympics are coming to an end. Mm-hmm. So now we can move further with March Madness right around the corner. So this is the fun time for sports. And no, there is no baseball. And there will probably be no baseball for Matt Harvey either. That's a whole nother story we'll get into a little bit later in the show. So why don't we get into the Super Bowl? And watching that game, I knew early that the Rams needed to get the early lead because Joe Burrow and the Bengals are a second-half team. They've been a second-half team really for their last eight games of the season. And then going into the playoffs, you saw what they did against the Las Vegas Raiders. You saw what they did against the Tennessee Titans. You saw what they did against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then you expect them to do the same thing in the Super Bowl. Now, the Rams going into the game, I didn't expect Odell Beckham to really play as well as he did when he was in the game. He had two receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. He was on his way to win an MVP. He tore his ACL. He'll probably be out for the whole season next year unless he comes back sometime late December, 
early January for the playoffs. And by the way, the national anthem, the country <laughs> singer, fantastic national anthem. It reminded me not so much of Whitney Houston's national anthem in the 80s, but it was something close to that. It was fantastic. But going into that game, I think the Rams' plan was try to figure out a way to get Cooper Cup free at some aspects of the game and use Odell Beckham as the secret weapon. And that's what they did early in the game. Odell Beckham was the guy that they were going to use for the long passes, the slant passes, and it was working. I mean, two passes, 52 yards, he was on his way. I think if Odell Beckham plays in that game for the full game, he gets over 150 yards in that game, maybe two touchdowns, and he is the MVP of that game. And, and really, what we saw in the first half, there was no running games. Mixon, who I thought was going to have a big game, completely couldn't run the ball. He did throw a touchdown, by the way. Yes. Chaz was right about that. So if anybody actually took his parlay, you probably won some money. But I thought that this was going to be a running game and whoever runs the ball better was going to win the game. I was wrong. But I wasn't off on the final score of the game. I thought it was going to be 24-21. Speedy picked the score 23-20. If you wanted to bet on Speedy's score, you would have won yourself a lot of money. But what I saw in the first half is... It was back and forth. I thought the Rams controlled the first half very, very well. Both defenses were playing very well in the beginning, in the first and second quarter. What changed the game was the third quarter, that 75-yard touchdown, which was a face mask. Everybody knows that Jalen Ramsey's face mask was pulled to the side by Higgins, and he ran it in for a touchdown. It absolutely changed the game. Gave the Bengals a lead, put the Bengals in position to significantly control the game. But then the fourth quarter came around, and that's where champions are made of. That's where teams figure out who they are. What's their identity? How are they going to win the Super Bowl? What did they work hard for to get there? What did they need to trade? What future they need to throw away like the Rams did to get them there? And the players that needed to show up, the players that they paid, the players that they traded for, the players that they practically built this roster around, showed up. Aaron Donald in the fourth quarter was an absolute beast. And if it wasn't for Cooper Cup and the catches that he made at the end of the game, and yes, that was not a penalty on the Bengals, but they called a penalty. Logan Wilson was holding Cooper Cup, and then that put them on the one-yard line, and then that's when Cooper Cup caught that touchdown, and that put them ahead. As good as Cooper Cup was, and how... He won the MVP, and it was absolutely well-deserved. Two touchdowns, 92 yards. It was very well-deserved. But the guy that showed up was the very guy that they drafted eight years ago and has been a dominant force in the NFL, has been the best defensive lineman in the last eight years. And I'm not just saying best, the most dominant, who I believe when his career is over will go down as the greatest defensive lineman of all time. And I'm talking about Reggie White. I'm talking about Lawrence Taylor. That's how good Aaron Donald is. And he showed you that it didn't matter if they were double-teaming him, triple-teaming him, trying to shift the guards to him. They couldn't stop him. When you look at the big picture of where that Super Bowl was going, it was really the dominance of the Rams' defensive line. It was the dominance of Von Miller blocking and smacking the ball around in the fourth quarter. Joe Burrow did get hurt early in the fourth quarter. It looked like he tore something in his knee. Maybe he tore a meniscus. Who knows? But he got back on the field. It shows you how tough he really is. And he didn't throw the ball very well in the fourth quarter. He didn't play like he played against Kansas City. That helped him get into that overtime and kick that field goal. And McPherson, who's been a big part of that offense, he didn't really do much in that game 
to really stand out. Where we thought that McPherson has been one of the more deadliest kickers we've seen since Adam Vinatieri. What I saw Speedy was a Rams team that wanted it more. Was a Rams team that needed and had to prove something. And Matthew Stafford, for everybody that was going to throw him under the bus because he played for the Lions 11 years of his career and pretty much flushed it away on a terrible franchise, went over there his first year and brought home a Super Bowl to his home city, L.A. You always can stereotype a quarterback for not succeeding on a bad team, but Matthew Stafford has always been one of the best comeback quarterbacks, and you saw that all postseason long. Even when the Rams almost collapsed against the Buccaneers, big throw on that final drive to Cooper Cup against the 49ers, down 17-7 to in the fourth quarter. Big comeback there, and this game too, when it seemed like the Bengals had all the momentum. He made a lot of big throws, and Matthew Stafford doesn't get thought of that way because he was playing in Detroit forever. But meanwhile, among 21st century quarterbacks, he's top five of those groupings in fourth quarter comebacks. Mm-hmm. So he definitely showcased that a lot more now getting in bigger light with a better team, a team with a lot of stars. Cooper Cup definitely showing out. Aaron Donald definitely showing out. Jalen Ramsey didn't really have a great game, uncharacteristically bad on some big plays and some penalties, but clutched up when he needed to in the fourth quarter. A lot of the other big X factors, I think, too, they were able to stop the run. Joe Mixon had a nice fourth quarter, but that was really it. He had the passing touchdown, sure. But we've seen this now with certain teams. You saw them shut it down to the 49ers. And when you look at a team like the Chiefs, who were saying, oh, they can't stop the run and how they're going to win the Super Bowl in the playoffs, they stopped Derrick Henry mattered and the 49ers and the Rams just kind of did the same thing even though they were thought of as a bad run defense so kudos to Raheem Morris for what they were able to do there and also their offensive line too pretty much after the first quarter they were struggling Trey Hendrickson was getting the quarterback DJ Reader was getting the quarterback but they really held their own the rest of the game too and their linebackers and their safeties play very well as well which we thought was going to be a big question mark for the Rams when you look at these other guys coming through it's a roster of stars but they need those little things to work out and the coaching was able to get them going. Teams could take away stars all you want to try to, and then they need the other guys to step up. But the Rams' other guys stepped up too. And then Aaron Donald, the all-time great legacy he's on, he has 98 sacks already in his career. So if he plays another seven years, you're talking about 180-something sacks for him, 170 sacks for a guy that was mostly a defensive tackle in his career. He is on that insane of a pace right now, and he showed it again. And Cooper Cup, what a performance for him in the fourth quarter. That is clutch, as you ever see from a wide receiver. Well-deserved Super Bowl MVP. But Donald not far behind. He was dominant as well. Donald had two sacks in the game. He could have very much had three sacks in the game if they actually didn't take it away from him early in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. So I think that what you saw was two really talented players, two players that they drafted. Aaron Donald. He was actually the 13th pick. He was actually drafted right after Odell. And has been a dominant force at his position. Cooper Cup was a fourth round draft pick four or five years ago. And a person that nobody thought was going to take his game to that next level. And he's been absolutely Absolutely fantastic for the last two or three years. So very well deserved. And Sean McVay, who I've been really, really hard on, and I'm not a big fan of Sean McVay. I think Bill Belichick really got the best of him a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl and shut down that powerful offense. But in this particular game, he needed to show up in the fourth quarter and make the play calls that he needed to make to get this team over the top. And especially late in the fourth quarter when he needed to find a guy, why not depend on your young wide receiver, the wide receiver that you paid a lot of money to, and the guy that's been clutch all year around. And that's Cooper Cup, who was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Think about this kind of year. The most consistent year you probably ever see game to game 
from a wide receiver. I know Calvin Johnson did in less games with his record, but still, Cooper Cup only had one game with less than 90 yards this year. That is insanity. And it wasn't the Super Bowl either because he had 90 No, it yards. was against the Titans. He was insane all season long, and he deserves every bit of all the accolades that he got. He has been as good of wide receiver we've seen in such a very long time. Say whatever you want about his size. When he came into the league, and he doesn't have the length. He doesn't have the leaping ability. Well, it doesn't really matter because we've seen this with wide receivers like him. Quarterbacks that have turned into receivers, the Julian Edelman's of the world. And Julian Edelman is nowhere close to Cooper Cup. So what we're seeing is a special, special specimen that's just getting better and better year in and year out. That shows you the type of hard work and dedication that this man puts into his game. He came from an FCS school, too. Keep mm-hmm. that in mind. Eastern Washington. He was setting records at college. He was doing very well. And he only fell in that draft because he got hurt that senior season, too. So he was able to overcome all that. Fit in with the Rams right away. And now look at where he's elevated himself to, to another level. Yep, absolutely. As far as the offseason is concerned, when you talk about the New York teams, the New York Giants, they have a new GM. They have a new coach. Coaching staff, I like what they're doing. They bring in a very... Very good defensive coordinator from the Baltimore Ravens, who is very well respected around the league. Did they bring an offensive coordinator yet? Yeah, they did. Uh, Chiefs passing game coordinator Mike Kafka, who I as well remember as a backup quarterback somewhere, too. And I'm hearing that Eric Bieniemy might leave the Chiefs. I believe that he wants to go somewhere where he could prove himself away from Andy Reid, mm-hmm. where he could show that it's because of him on the reason why this offense is as good as it is. So I think that has a lot to do with why he hasn't gotten a job, because Andy Reid is there, and he's the best offensive mind we've seen yeah. in NFL history, so why would they give Eric Bieniemy all the accolades when they have the great Andy Reid there? And that was the guy who the Giants hired that was going to move into Eric Bieniemy's position, and the Giants scoop him up. So far, so good for the New York Giants as far as the coaching staff, and now they're going to have to decide what they're doing with Daniel Jones. Now, we've heard what Dable has said. Dable believes in Daniel Jones, the special player that he is, and I think he is special. I think he can run, he can throw, he can do all those things that you expect a quarterback to do in this age of football. Now you have to see what they are as a team and where they're going to go in the draft. Kevon Thibodeau saying that the Giants are the lead team to get him. I don't know how he knows that. It doesn't make any well, sense. Well, Eric Ebron predicted he would go to the Lions, so I wouldn't take that much into stock. <laughs> <laughs> and where the Giants are drafting at 5-7, and seven, they're positioned very, very well to get two really good players in this year's draft and really position themselves moving Moving forward with this new coaching staff and solidify themselves. Well, there's no quarterbacks in this draft class that really stands out where you're going to give up on Daniel Jones. Maybe they make a trade for a Kyler Murray in the offseason. I don't know what the Giants are planning to do. I don't know where they see themselves as an organization with this new coaching staff and with the ownership. I do believe that the Giants have a plan, and that's something that they haven't had for the last few years. Two things that Joe Shane was noting that he was going to attempt to do, explore the market, is one, try to move Saquon Barkley. We've been saying that all year. And also James Bradbury is another contract they are trying to move as well. He had a very good first year with the Giants, but kind of fell off his second year too. And the Giants have a lot of the young defensive backs on their roster too, so they're going to try to shop those two clear money away. There's a lot of bad contracts. They aren't going to be able to trade away, but they think they could try to move those two. They'll definitely move Saquon Bark. And there's a team that he came from that <laughs> needs a running back. The weakness of this offense, this Buffalo Bills offense, is their running game. Why not go after Saquon Barkley? You're not going to have to give up much for him. Maybe you give up a third-round draft pick for Saquon Barkley. I'll take Zach Moss in a five. I think that would be a smart move for the Buffalo Bills and a very smart move for the New York Giants. I think the Giants need to figure out who they are, what their identity is, what they're going to do next season going 
going into the season, offensively, defensively, and how they're going to work this offense. Now, Dable, we all know what he likes to do. He likes to use wide receivers. He likes to use speed guys on the outside and bigger guys in the slot. Use those wide receivers and running backs as pitch players that you can use as wide receivers. So I'm going to be very intrigued and very interested to see what the Giants are going to do. As far as the Jets are concerned, so interesting this offseason for the New York Jets. They're going to have over $70 million, the fourth and tenth pick of this year's draft. There's some talks that they like the kid from Notre Dame. Hamilton, who did very well in the senior ball, was one of the more standout players in the senior ball and looked very, very good throughout the season. I didn't want him, but when I watch clips of him, and watch how good he really is. He could be an absolute game changer for the New York Jets. When you look at Jamal Adams, you thought that about but Jamal Adams was a hitter. This guy could do it all. He's six foot four. He reads plays. He intercepts the ball. You could put him at the corner. You could put him in the slot. You could do everything. And he could keep up with any tight end in the NFL right now. He's that fast and that good. And he's long too. He's six foot four for a safety. He could be a game changer for somebody like the Jets. Luke Keekley was a linebacker. But he reminds me of a, like a Luke Keekley type of player. And the Jets could very much think that he could fall at four to them. Now, there are stories coming out that the Texans really, really like him too at number three. So the Jets going to look at that. They could look at for offensive line help if certain players fall to them. As far as free agency is concerned, they need to get a playmaker. They need to find a number one. They don't have one. I do like Elijah Moore, but he's still very, very young and wet behind the ears. I think he needs to have a full season to figure out who he is as a person. I do not make a move for Devontae Adams, $30 million a year. That's overpaying a player as good as he is. Maybe you trade for Amari Cooper, or maybe you bring in Robinson, who had a bad season last year, to the Jets, where you don't have to overpay him. Maybe you give him a two- or three-year deal worth about $60 million and you get yourself a sensational wide receiver. Trying to figure out what they're going to do on the edges, which has been a very big weakness for the New York Jets for forever. And Zach Wilson, the growth of him. Braxton Berrios said something very interesting about Zach Wilson. He loves football. He's not in it for what it brings him. He truly loves the game. I think the year one to year two jump is going to be absolutely tremendous with him. So there you go. Braxton Berrios speaking highly regards to what Zach Wilson could be next year in his second year. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our special guest. You know him as the Nigerian Nightmare. I know him as the Nigerian Zeus. We will be talking to former Chiefs All-Pro running back Christian Okoye here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. By the way, we've broken 15,263 downloads on our app. It's fantastic. Thank you for all the fans putting the time and downloading our app. It's free, guys. And very soon we'll have opportunities for you guys to win tickets and prizes on our app. So definitely download our app. Well, 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 we have our special guest. He was at the Super Bowl and enjoying himself, hanging out with Roger Goodell. Who would want to hang out with Roger Goodell? He does. We are now talking to former Chiefs All-Pro running back Christian Okoye. What's going on, Christian? I've been staying busy. I had to go to the hospital and pick up my sister. So she was sick. 
Oh, sorry yeah. to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. I hope everything's going well with your family. I just hope the best. I mean, crazy things. By the way, I know you went to the Super Bowl. We'll get into that in just a few moments. How are you just after playing professional football, just living life? after football. What have you been doing moving forward after your career? I've been staying busy for the record. I'm single. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, no ring. Right. No I ring. Three, I have three kids. They're doing great. I'm retired and I run two non-profit organizations. One is the California Sports Hall of Fame, which takes most of my time. And then my charity for children, the Christian Okoye Foundation, which I started since 1990. I've moved some of it back to Nigeria and wanted to start helping kids out there just like I do out here. They're all going well, man. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Chiefs All-Pro running back Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare, where that name has started to fly to other sports, a.k.a. the UFC. There's a Nigerian nightmare over there. I mean, you become a star. That name has really just adapted on all different levels. How did you get that name? Who gave you that name in your career as a top-end running back? Well, it's a unique name, and it's one of those that you never forget, of course. It was given to me by my teammates in Kansas City. We were watching films one day, my rookie year, and uh, our former quarterback, Bill Kenny, says, man, look at that dude, Ron. <laughs> it's like a nightmare. And then Irv Eatman, who went to UCLA, big guy, very athletic, says, uh, that's a Nigerian nightmare right there. <laughs> so that's how he picked up and uh, ESPN picked it up. So you growing up in Nigeria, how did you get into football? It's not really as well known. It's getting a little more now, more known in certain African countries. But how did you get into football? Were there other sports that you got into first and then influenced you a little more? And what was your journey like just growing up and getting into it? My friends talked to me to football when I wasn't picked to represent Nigeria in the Olympics in 84. So I was a track and field buff. I love track and field. That's what I did. That's the reason why I came to America to go to school here. So I decided, okay, I'm going to listen to my friends. I'm going to try football. And that's what happened. And even though I didn't like the game, right from the get-go, I stuck on it. And with the encouragement of my friends and my coaches in college, uh, I stayed with it. And uh, after three years, I found myself in the NFL with the Chiefs drafting me in the second round. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Chiefs All-Pro running back Christian Okoye. Now, Christian, the running back is a position where you get beat up. Out of all the positions yeah. you could pick, obviously you want to dish it out. You were big enough to play a linebacker position, you were big enough to possibly even play a defensive end. The power and the ability and the agility that you have with the speed that you have. Being that you were a late bloomer, what made you decide to play as a running back? Well, right from the get-go, when I was trying to uh, join my school football team to play football, I didn't know any position. When I walked into the football coach's office, I said, Coach, I want to play football. He said, okay, well, what position do you want to play? I said, well, I'm not really sure. I told him, I said, I saw a highlight on the news the other day, and they showed Marcus Allen reversing the field and running. It was like from Super Bowl Raiders playing against Washington Redskins at the time. I asked him, I said, who was that? And he says, well, that's Marcus Allen. I said, what position is that? He said, running back. I said, well. That's my position. That's where I want to play. <laughs> I would want to play that, too, if I was watching Marcus Allen, too. Fantastic <laughs> running back. I met Marcus Allen a couple of years ago at the Super Bowl in Miami, and he was absolutely gracious and nice, nice guy. At an event I saw, I saw him. He was great. Yeah, Marcus, he's a great guy. He's a friend now. And I told him, the first time I told him, I said, you know, I'm playing the running back position because you you said, yeah, right. You kind of brushed me up. <laughs> and for many years, he didn't believe me. And after he heard me several times talk about it on the 
interviews and stuff, and uh, he started believing me. I think now he really believes me. While we're on the note of you being from Nigeria, I don't know if you knew this, Prince Amukamaru used to play corner for the Giants, is actually born to Nigerian royalty, and his mother actually did run in the 84 Olympics as well. Yeah, I knew that. Some of these Nigerians that are playing the NFL now, I kind of made it a point to kind of study them and get to know them, not really talk to them, but know who they are. There are many of them, many Africans playing the NFL today. Yeah, you're very involved with your late great teammate, Derek Thomas, who's one of the best outside rushing pass rushers of all time. Rest in peace to him. You're a big part of his foundation. So what was your main goal in terms of getting this foundation really going with him and being supporting it? And what were some of the biggest memories you had with Derek Thomas as a teammate? Derek was a great athlete, as you know. He's one of those guys that didn't like practices, but but when the games come around, just wakes up and lights it up. During his rookie year, he was my roommate on the road. So we got to know each other very well. Lee Steinberg was his agent. So Lee and I became friends and still a friend till today. We often talk about Derek Thomas and the foundation that he formed when he was alive. It's called Third and Long. After his death over 20 years ago, his friends, Neil Smith, buddy of his, decided he's going to keep it alive. And uh, we all helped to keep it alive, keep his dreams going. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Chiefs All-Pro running back Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare. Now, Christian, everything that's gone on over the last 10, 15 years of the NFL has come to this point. Patrick Willis retires early. Calvin Johnson retires early. DeBrickashaw Ferguson retires early. All of the guys that have retired early have spoken about CTE. We've interviewed a lot of great ex-NFL players. We talked to Jarvis Green last week, and he talked about how he has the first level of CTE. When you hear about these stories and the way the NFL has handled this with the doctor, the movie, what are your thoughts to what Roger Goodell has done and really pushing this situation, this big problem that the NFL has had over the last 10, 15 years to the side? Have you had any thoughts to this? Have you spoken about any of your thoughts to the CTE situation? We talk about it a lot. I just got on the phone with Eric Dickerson, good friend of mine. I tend to surround myself with great running backs. One of the greatest. Yeah, one of the greatest. We talk about it a lot. We athletes, we get scared when we get much older, what is going to happen to us. Some of us go and see brain doctors to kind of figure out what's going on. I've been going through tests, taking MRI in, in Orange County, seeing Dr. Shanko to figure out what kind of problems that I might be having or have already. But you have to do what you can to kind of figure out where you are. Because as you say, football is a very dangerous sport and the league hiding the dangers that we face playing the game and not even agreeing to what was going on and what has happened to a lot of players in the past who have died. It's just something that kind of boggles my mind. And we just got done talking about it with Eric. And uh, it's just simple, simple thing. Just admit it and help these guys, help the players, because they promoted this game to where it's at today. And you guys are making a whole lot of money. Why don't you just find a way to help those are having problems. You actually played for an organization in the Chiefs that had a couple of those cases recently. Uh, Larry Johnson was a running back that was complaining to the NFL a lot about CTE. Javon Belcher, the young linebacker who allegedly committed suicide. Related to that, you see now in today's NFL, and the Chiefs do this a lot too with Andy Reid now coaching and they rotate a lot. Running backs, receivers a lot rotating on the field. Do you think CTE, trying to protect them with the injuries and freshness has a lot to do with that too? Or do you think there's another reason for it in terms of why like the feature back is not the same. Well, the thing is that if they admit this problem, 
they're going to have to spend a whole lot of money treating guys, figuring out ways to avoid that. In a way, I think they're just scared the amount of money they will be spending to get it right. But they are ignoring a lot. And that, it's not fair to the players. Simple giving the athletes, the retired athletes, medical. It's not even on the table. And this is a game that is the most dangerous sport out there. As a running back, I can tell you, man, I have many accidents on the football field every time I play. If I carry the ball 30 times, that means I got hit about 90 times mm -hmm. to over 100 times. Because I'm a big guy, so I don't go down the first time. So second guy will hit me, third guy will hit me. So on and on. It's one of those things that you have to look at and do something about it. If I was the owners. Well, I would also say this about the commissioner who makes deals and he's making $45 million a year. He's got a free jet. His family has benefits for life. He's got benefits for life. If he could get all this, why can't the players? And this is what bothers me about the NFL. I know Roger Goodell and me, I've had my turn off with our show and all the different executives and people that we've had from the NFL. I even went to the Super Bowl in Miami. I had a problem getting into Radio Row uh, a couple of years ago. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to write a story about how disrespectful the NFL are, not just to the media, but to people that work for them at the event. So I went and I purposely went to people that were working the event and asked them questions. Some of them didn't even want to answer me because they knew that I was right. I walked up to a lawyer that works for the NFL, and she was sitting with her father, and I asked her a couple of questions. She says, who are you, and why are you asking these crazy questions? And I say, just as much as you get paid for the NFL, why can't you answer an easy question? I asked her some yeah. silly questions, but she won't give me answers because, you know what, she's on the pay grade of the NFL, and she knows that Roger Goodell is paying her and that she could lose her job, which I understand that. But Roger Goodell has not been right to the players. He has not been right to the league and for what the league really stands for. These NFL players, you guys, that have put your lives on the line for years and years and years, committing and putting yourself in risk. And when you were playing, you weren't making the money that these players, Patrick Mahomes is making $500 million. Ridiculous. And they have Junior Seahow, we talked about last year with Jarvis Green, and how these guys were like the face of football, the generational type of players, yeah. and they don't get the respect that they deserve, and now they're gone, and they really can't speak for themselves because of what happened with them with CTE. Yeah, exactly. You're totally right. Right. I played with Mike Webster. You guys know the story. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Mike Webster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He came to Kansas City and played in Kansas City, finished his career in Kansas City after Pittsburgh. And uh, Junior Sayer, a great friend. I was with Junior Sayer two weeks before he killed himself. Mm -hmm. He never thought that was going to happen. Great guy. A fun-loving type guy. Just shocking. And many other guys who are still having problems today. I'm just hoping and praying that I don't have any problems because I played it and I played it hard when I played. Mm -hmm. So NFL just need to wake up. And one more thing I have to say Go is ahead. Roger Goodell is the fall guy. You have to understand Roger is not going to do anything without the knowledge of the owners. Owners have to vote on every decision that he makes. And if they vote him down, then he doesn't have any say. People just have to realize that. The owners will allow things to happen. If they don't allow it, then it doesn't happen. Maybe it's not fully Roger Cadell, but he still gets those contracts, man. He's still getting those $45 million. <laughs> hey, I told him the other day, I said, hey, I'm going to come work for you. I'm going to come wash your plates and vacuum your house. <laughs> he gave me a little percentage of what you're making. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, Roger Cadell would rather just have his kids do it before you or me do it for him. <laughs> 
Hey, charity begins at home, right? That's right. Allowance. I'm going to give you a $1,000 allowance, kids. Do what you got to do. <laughs> Is it crazy to believe that you are on these big name football video games, most famously Tecmo Bowl that you were playing? Is it crazy to see yourself like that in a game like that's that popular? Well, it is crazy because I'm from Nigeria, poor family from Nigeria, and I never thought I was, I was going to come to America. And being in a video game, are you kidding me? <laughs> Gosh, it's a blessing. And every time I go to my appearances and people bring one of those games for me to sign, I'm like, wow, they still remember me. How could you forget you? A running back that was like 260 pounds, just like LeBron James has changed the game of basketball. And you look at his size, six foot eight, 270, built like a rock. Guy runs yep. and jumps like a deer. <laughs> you changed the game of football. You changed the running back position. All pro running back. A beast of a man run through second and third interior defensive players to get where you need to go. You change the game. If you ask anybody, I've talked to Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin tells me, when I said, who did you look up to when you watched the game? He mentioned Eric Dickerson, Peyton, and mentioned you. People yeah. that redimensioned the position for what it is today, and even Adrian Peterson, who hopefully is going to get out of the trouble that he is in, which uh, is another crazy thing that's going on right now, which I, I think they're not pressing on him. The DA is not going to do anything to him, but it's just crazy what's going on in the game of football which leads me to this question Kansas City that game was unbelievable against Buffalo could have been the greatest game we've ever watched of all time in football and I know you're a Kansas City guy so you know what I'm talking about and then they go against the Bengals and in the second half Patrick Mahomes who everybody says (laughs) is the next big superstar in a league lays up a lousy goose egg in the second half (laughs) and young Joe Burrow takes a Bengals team that had no business being there in the AFC title game, which, by the yep. way, McPherson says, watch, I'm going to kick this right to him. We're going to go right to the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts to Patrick Mahomes in the second half for your Kansas City Chiefs? Man, we were all upset. We were confused. Didn't know what to think. Didn't know what to say. And I tell you, I was at the game over there. was sitting with the commissioner and the rest of them. And I tell you what, I was dumbfounded. We just went on vacation the second half. We just <laughs> went to sleep. I don't know what it was. Maybe a player thought, okay, we're going to the Super Bowl once we were like, what, 21 to 3? And they'd relaxed. They just gave it up. Thank God he wasn't they, eating a hot dog like Mark Sanchez on the sidelines. Maybe he was doing that. Hey, the Chiefs, Maybe a hamburger or something. The, the Chiefs have the <laughs> franchise history of the greatest Super Bowl <laughs> halftime cigar and beer oh, uh, with Len man. Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, man. This is a learned experience. So they have to just snap it up next time because that was really bad. Mm. And everybody saw it. So they just laid an egg in front of the whole world, mm. especially after playing the, the way they played the, mm. the week before. How can you just come out and play the way you did? Mm. It's my team, and I have all the confidence in the world that they will be back. Well, I will say this. That division with the young quarterbacks that you have, you have Derek Carr in that division, you have Justin Herbert, and who's to say you don't have Russell Wilson or even Aaron Rodgers on the Broncos next year, which could be a nasty way all the way to the playoffs next year because yeah. if you got to deal with Aaron Rodgers twice, Justin Herbert twice, and then Derek Carr or maybe another quarterback if, hey, Josh McDaniel says, you know what? I don't want Derek Carr. I want Russell Wilson. I want Kyler Murray. You're talking about probably the best division of young quarterbacks 
quarterbacks we've ever seen in the last yeah. 25 years. You're right. I'm not too worried about our division because <laughs> we're still going to win it next year. I don't, I don't care how young the quarterbacks are or the team are. Once they play in the division, we're going to beat them all. Well, listen, I'm a Jet fan, and we're in the AFC. I want to see my team at least make the playoffs. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. Christian, I'm just picturing you now with that meme with the cigar. Herbert, Herbert, Berbert, whatever. Uh, Chiefs still win AFC West. Well, thank you, Christian. Thank you for making me feel even better as a Jet fan. I, I'm sorry. Trust me, I'm sorry, too. I'm going to be 40 years old. I wasn't even alive when they won a Super Bowl with Joe Namath. Joe Namath jinxed us. Thank you, Joey. Broadway, nothing. No Hall of Fame. You didn't do anything for me. Hall of Fame. I met Joe Namath. You know what I said to Joe Namath the first time I met him? I was at an event, a concussion event, and we were talking. He was waiting for his limo, and I'm standing outside. And my friend says, hey, that's Joe Namath. You didn't get a chance to interview him. So I walked up to him, and I, the first thing I said, hey, Joe Willie, could you please do something for me? And he says, what? Why the hell did you put a hex? Why did you put a devil on my team? We haven't done anything. We haven't won anything. Could you do something? He says, what do you want me to do? We don't have a quarterback. This is before Mark Sanchez. And then he says, look on the bright side. You might have Rex. You might have this. To this day, I saw Joe Namath two or three years ago at another event. And I said, hey, I thought Rex was going to do it. He says, well, maybe we'll get lucky with Todd. Thank you. No Todd Bowles anymore. Then it was Adam Gase. Who's next? Robert Sala? I mean, give me a break. I'm going to throw up. My team but stinks. You know, Sanchez, he did well for you guys. Yes, he did. You guys went to AFC Championships two years in a row. Because it's New York. And once you screw up one time, oh, man, they jump on your butt. Sanchez couldn't handle it. If he had thick skin, he would have been able to rescue you guys, but it just went downhill from there. Tell Mark to stop hanging out with those supermodels. How's that? Stop <laughs> sticking his ass with steroids and do something but, but instead of running into asses from the Patriots or your own team. <laughs> Christian stuck in a nice little pun there. If you struggle there, though, jump on your butt. Yeah. I heard that a nice little pun you snuck Did in Did he there. ever? He jumped in his own team's butt. Thank you. <laughs> The football culture of the Chiefs always been one of the more unique ones, and now you're getting to witness it now as a fan. I saw you posted on Twitter, you and Paul Rudd at the AFC Championship game, and now Paul yeah. Rudd's doing the crazy Super Bowl commercial, the lace commercial. So both as a player, as a fan, what are some of those experiences like with the tailgates, the barbecue, the, the arrowhead crowd, all that stuff? What is some of the differences between both as a player and as a fan that you got to witness? Oh, man, I tell you what, it's just one of the best. Just coming to the game and walking in the parking lot, it's half the fun that you will have in Arrowhead Stadium. And then, of course, when the game starts, fans get into the game. I don't know if you've ever been to the Arrowhead Stadium when the game is going on and the national anthem is sung and our own version of the anthem. It's just incredible. My daughter, who is an actress, she sang national anthem one year she was practicing, and at the end, when they say the home of the brave, and the Chiefs always say the home of the Chiefs, very loud. So when she was singing, I said that, and she, she started, she got scared. I said, well, be prepared. Tomorrow, this is what you're going to hear. And it happened. But barbecue and the parking lot, tailgate, when I was playing, I used to go out there and sit down with the fans and eat barbecue chicken, ribs, barbecue beans. It's the best. We are talking to former Chiefs, all-pro running back, Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare. One thing that I have to say, your daughter's a singer. She's an actress. Maybe she can sing a nice anthem for my Jet team to wake up (laughs) from 
whatever they're in, some trance or whatever, <laughs> some cemetery they're sitting at. To wake them up, huh? I wake them up or do something. I mean, they're in some kind of zombie <laughs> trance because this team doesn't know where the hell they are. Maybe she could become the coach because obviously the coaches are just not doing their thing. Right, 2023, if the Jets I mean, play at the Chiefs oh, at please. Arrowhead, uh, oh, make please. it work. Zach Wilson, <laughs> well, please. I, I'll tell you what, it's, it starts from the ownership. Go ahead, throw Woody under the bus. What a name, yep. Woody Johnson. Just think yep. about it, Woody, you know, a Woody, and a Johnson, your underwear. Yep. That Perfect. Yep. Oh. It's going to be his fault because he needs to hire better and draft better. They've had good drafts the last two years. I think Joe Douglas has done a great job. I just think that this team needs to find that player is going to take them to that next level. I don't know if Zach Wilson's the guy. Maybe he is. Zach is a good quarterback yes. now. Yes, yes. He just needs a better coaching. Somebody to tell him, say, hey, this is your team. You need to rise up and play. How about you become the coach? How's that sound? Can we hire you? Know, you? <laughs> I can do it. All you have to do is give the players confidence to go out and play. Mm. You know, that's all. Zach, he's a great athlete. And he can throw the ball. Everybody saw it. He showed some flashes of greatness. He just needs some encouragement from his coaches. He needs a better coaching. So is there any other experiences you've had in your career with a particular teammate? Like the best teammate story when you were in Kansas City. Which teammate was that and what were some of the best stories? Well, I don't have great stories, but <laughs> I'll go back to Derek Thomas. Derek is one of those guys that didn't care very much about anything else but on the game. During the game, he plays lights out, like I said. But practices, meetings, he's always late every single day <laughs> to meetings. He's always late. He's that guy. Always late. But he's always gets fined every single day. I'm mighty used to yell at him all the time, but during the game, he shows up. So it's kind of like a LT when LT was playing. But the thing is that when LT was playing for the Giants, they let him do whatever he did because he showed up during the game. Dead Thomas, though, they didn't let him off. He got punished, but he still shows up. LT definitely showed up after he sniffed a bunch of powder and, and when he was partying the other <laughs> night before. He was hanging out with a bunch of hookers, and then he's going over the <laughs> So now that we... That's two or three sacks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor, one of the funniest guys I ever met. I'll never forget when I met Lawrence Taylor. The first thing I said, what was the most powder you sniffed before or after the game? And how many sacks were you thinking you were going to have in the second half of that game when you were doing it? And he told me, he, he smiled at me. He says, boy, wouldn't you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> now, I love LT, man. I love him. So now we know that the 1990s Chiefs gave out fines for being late. We know for two reasons Marshawn Lynch would not survive there. One, he comes so he doesn't get fined. And two, he would never be able to take your spot on the power back depth charts. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we had a good time, man. I love the Chiefs. Well, I will say I this. Love the out there. We really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome. Uh, your personality, everything that we've heard about you and, and we've read about you, and the Nigerian nightmare, that doesn't fit you. We should call you the Nigerian goddess or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. You're really cool down to earth. We we definitely would love to get you back on the show again. I know you're very, very busy with everything that you're well, doing with your kids and everything that you've been doing. It's amazing how you've taken your career to that next level after football. Thank you for giving us the time and opportunity to interview. 
Of course, and thank you. You let me know next time you need me on, I will come on. I hope you had a good time. You know how you say you you don't remember any great stories? I hope out of all the interviews you have in the future, I want you to say, you know what? Those guys are crazy, but funny. (laughs) It was something to experience. I will not forget you guys. I won't. Thank you. Thank you. CTE or no CTE, I won't forget you. I might have CTE after some of the things I've heard, especially being a Jet (laughs) fan. I've got CTE as a Jet fan. It should run my head into a wall. Every single time I think of my Jet team. Every year I'm like, this is my year. We're going to make the playoffs. And we barely win three games. Don't worry, Christian. I spend my time picking on your division rival, the Chargers. <laughs> Good. Christian, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Just go to okoyafoundation.org. Find me on Twitter at Christian Okoya. Instagram, Christian Okoya 35. Remember, I want you to tell your daughter to figure out how to write a song for the New York Jets. <laughs> All right. It would be I'll great. I, you know what? I'll play it on this show so everybody can hear it. Man, it'll be my theme song of my Jets until they win a Super Bowl, which probably be another 50 years from now. The song will be top 10 on the <laughs> Billboard chart for a long time if that happens. <laughs> well, at least we want something. It worked for Bohemian Rhapsody. It might work for the Jets. Get out of here. We're not Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> you can't put the Jets of Bohemian Rhapsody in the same nope. conversation. Nope. Jesus. Nobody Christ. will ever be queen. But I'm talking about the, the time frame. Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody rebirthed on Wayne's world. Maybe this Jets oh, song will be rebirthed 16 years later. By Miss Okoye. <laughs> yeah. Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare, or way we say, the Nigerian goddess. <laughs> I like that better. It's perfect. It, it flows. I'll take it. I, I'll I like it. it. I like it. It's good. We have a bunch of Nigerian nightmares. Now we have the Nigerian goddess. Nigerian Zeus. I mean, <laughs> how about the Nigerian juice? How's that sound? I like no, it. Nigeria. No, Juice is taken. That's OJ. Sorry. The Nigerian Zeus. How's that sound? Is there that better? Go. I like that. The Nigerian <laughs> Zeus. I mean, Zeus is the powerful god. You like that? Yeah. I like yeah. it. Nobody can steal that. I'm going to copyright it for you, man. I'm going to brand it for you. The Nigerian Zeus. Send it to him, Speedy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Former Chiefs All-Pro running back, Christian Okoye, the Nigerian Zeus. How do you like that? There you go. What do you say about that? Nigerian Zeus. I like that. Great ring to it. I think it flows. Thank you, Christian. Thank you guys for having me on. Talk to you guys another time, all right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We definitely would. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Christian Okoye, or may I say the Nigerian Zeus, or maybe goddess, whatever he likes to prefer himself to call himself. I don't know. Definitely like the Zeus and all the fans out there. They didn't like the fact that I called him the Nigerian goddess, but there are two athletes now that have the name Nigerian Nightmare. So we got to change it around. So, you know, Zeus is the more powerful god. So to everybody, he, he was built like a god. So why not give him that name? Congratulations. We've just invented Nigerian mythology. <laughs> That's right. There you go. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to our betting guys, our Moneyline Mania guys, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Aaron Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. This topic and this part of the show is also brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly. And now, Speedy, Money Line Mania. 
This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. I hope everybody was listening to the show last week because Chaz and Wes were very, very close to nailing a lot of their parlays. Chazzy boy, what's going on, my friends? You say I got it in the back end. The bottom line is my running back threw a touchdown. How does that not count? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm four for four, and it paid like 11 to one. And I knew Mixon was going to have a big day, but I didn't know it was going to be his first pass. And then I said to Vicky. Vic, I'm telling you, they were so fooled. I bet he's probably not throwing a lot of those. <laughs> Turned out he had never thrown one ever. Wes, you were dead on on a lot of things that you were saying. How was your weekend with this Super Bowl? Did you eat a lot of food? We all know that you're a chef. Did you spend it with your family? Did you spend it with your friends? Being in KC, I kind of took a breather. I had a Super Bowl party two years in a row. You know, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. So this was kind of a breather for KC. So, you know, I cooked and it wasn't smashing beers. It was more of a civilized glass of red. Had wine with the <laughs> wife and we smoked some barbecue. We're spoiled around here, but uh, from a financial standpoint, the Super Bowl was great. We called out a handful of props. The, the biggest one was the plus four on Cincinnati for the game and jumped on a live opportunity within the game in, in the first half and took some points, which since he very quickly covered. So I would like to get the money. I typically, when, we, when I cash something early, I will take half of that winning and go on something that might be a little loftier, but the win is guaranteed. So when we cash that first half, I took half of that and went back in on Cincy Moneyline. So I was all bangles going into that last drive because that would have been a real nice payday to get that money line. But either way, I thought the game overall was kind of boring until the last couple minutes. It was boring, Wes, in terms of big plays. It's not that it had the one big touchdown, but it was not boring in terms of being a good football game. If you like football, it was a good football game. Oh, yeah. And Aaron Donald was fantastic in the fourth quarter. She showed you why he's been a dominant force in the league for the last eight or nine years and why I think he's going to go down as the greatest defensive player at the defensive line position we've ever seen from Reggie White. And we were talking about Lawrence Taylor. Everybody says that these two guys were just so special. What about Aaron Donald defensive tackle position? 98 sacks sacks. in his career already for a guy that was also a 3-4 end, too, which is very hard to get sacks from. He took over the game. Yes. He took it over. There's no other way. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, I thought it was you, Errol, about the MVP kind of got screwed out of it. But yes. the bottom line is he took over that game. Everybody asked me who I thought the MVP was going to be. Aaron Donald was the guy. I thought going into the game, I thought it was Aaron Donald. And to me, if Cooper Cup didn't have the fourth quarter that he had, it was going to Aaron Donald. If Odell Beckham didn't get hurt, it was going to go to Odell Beckham. I was surprised that it went to Cup just because typically when you see a quarterback drive and lead the drive that wins, Mm -hmm. the quarterback normally secures it. I don't think Burrow had an amazing game to where he would have been the MVP, but if he would have driven him down, I think he would have had it too. Absolutely. Usually it's right. The third reception, touchdown reception, puts the player that's a receiver right in the thick of things. Otherwise, who threw him the ball? And that's why I love football and why I love the Super Bowl. Usually, besides the Rams and Patriots, and I remember that game, that was horrific. And the Broncos in Seattle, which was a complete, utter disappointment. It was all Seattle and no Broncos. Arguably one of the best offensive teams we've ever seen. Just completely lay up a lousy goose egg in, in New York. But usually, you expect these games to be very, very close and very, very fun. And last year, Kansas City didn't have their offensive linemen. I knew going into the game, it was was going to be very, very hard to sell that Kansas City was going to win that game in Tampa. But all in all, this was, I thought, was a lot better of a Super Bowl than it was last year. At the end of the game, we wanted to see 
a team actually go down the field and win the game. And we saw that with the Rams. It was fantastic. Oh, I would think Stafford, if you didn't like Stafford, I like Stafford. I mm-hmm. liked him when he was at Georgia. If you don't like Stafford, look at a mirror. <laughs> How do you not like a guy that's carrying a bottle, a $150 bottle of tequila to the mic during the victory rally? The Tom Brady tweet was definitely classic. Though. Oh, yes. Mix in some water. Yes. Glad the tequila wasn't avocado, though, like Tom Brady. How about the lady, the photographer that fell off the stage, broke her back? She's actually an Aztec alumni. Absolutely. And then, obviously, Matthew Stafford coming out in the team, some of the players on the team, saying that they were going to pay for her medical bills and help her out. That's fantastic when you hear something. Well, normally, that's like a rock star thing, right? The lead singer was always fall off the stage. They're into the song, and next thing you know, they got a broken leg. As far as the Super Bowl is concerned, we have no more football. Now the offseason comes. You can obviously make some bets on where some of these players are going, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be doing that because you could do anything on DraftKings and FanDuel. If you think Kevon Thibodeau is going to go to the Giants, well, put your bets on. March Madness is around the corner. You have NBA basketball going on right now and hockey. Where do you guys look to make your bets now that football is over? Well, personally, we're doing something special for you guys, Wes and I and John. We're going to give you not only the whipped cream, but you're going to get the cherry, too. I spent a couple years at Baskin-Robbins when I was younger, so bear with me because there's nothing prettier. Wes makes some great chef stuff, but a really pretty banana split. It's like a work of art, isn't it? With the three mounds and the nuts. You trying to get me hungry here? Come on, man. What we're going to do is the teams that you guys are talking about all week, We're going to give you winners for them on Sunday. Saturday night, you listen. Sunday, you make the bets. Actually, they probably should just make the bets right away. Lines move, Wes, overnight. They do, for sure. And sometimes you can't get, depending on what we're betting, you can't get the line until Sunday morning. But that's going to be the plan. And and so I'm looking. I said, here's what I'm going to do. Wes says, you know, they're college basketball, just like you guys confirmed. And we've been right in St. John's for a while. But I laughed because I looked at the NBA, and they're in the All-Star break. And then I saw what the total was. Did you see what the total was for the All-Star game, Wes? It was pretty ridiculous. (laughs) 360 or something. I'm not surprised. Don't quote me on the 60. But it was well above 300. People laugh at that, but that's the kind of game where Wes and I will sit there, we decide what we want to bet. So you're either going under or over, you put a little bit on, then you watch the game, and there's going to be a point in the game where you might not only win more than you bet in live action, you might have live action on both the over and the under at the same time in the same game and win them both, and that's kind of what makes us special, I think. Mm. You know what makes me special? Me eating a banana split. If you can make me a banana split, Wes, I'd really enjoy it. It's the simple things, you know? My man there. (laughs) I do not want to go to Baskin-Robbins for that either. Yeah, Wes, ship you a banana split like you tried to ship the pizza to that guest. In today's world, your ice cream might be on a barge in New York Harbor. (laughs) But anyway, so we had talked about St. John's, and they've covered five straight, seven of their last eight. Their total's been bouncing back and forth, so we're going to pay attention to them because next Sunday they're at to Paul. It's funny because this time of year, I believe, and Wes, you and I have talked about this on the show, you got to be careful. You can't just look at the stats because those stats include the entire season and a team's numbers could be drawn down or up based on the start of the season. They might have been great in the start of the season and now they're not, or they might have stunk at the start of the season and now they're good. I like to look, you know, eight to ten games, two, three weeks of college basketball is like six, seven games, somewhere in that range because I, I want to bet what they're doing right now. You know, Wes? I'm with you and with the college basketball, what's important to, to understand right now is 
a lot of these teams, some of the higher ranked teams that know they're going to make it to the dance, some of them don't really care if they're going to be a two or a three or if they're going to be a five or a six. They just know that they're going to be there. They're not resting starters, but they're certainly not putting their best foot forward while you got other teams fourth, fifth in the conference. They need to look good. They need to shut down big teams. They need to make a splash in the tournaments. Like Gonzaga, they just need to show up. They could lose the first game of their tournament and they're probably still going to find a way to be a one. But you look at the Big Ten, Rutgers is is a good example. Rutgers needs a couple good showings against these teams they're going to close out the, the conference play with. They might find themselves in the dance. They're playing Purdue, and Purdue doesn't need the game. Not even a little bit. They don't need it. And so that's an interesting matchup for me. Nothing was weirder than the Georgetown run last year, though, for the Big East. Of course. It's so fun. And you talk about March Madness. You see where all these guys are going to be ranked. All these teams are going to be set up in a draw. And how crazy a number one seed could fall out just as quick as the second round. We saw a number one team get eliminated for the first time in the first round. So it's slowly but surely, when you get into this tournament, it, there's no guarantees anymore. The greatest bet of my life, if it was legal there, would have been me picking that 16 because I actually did get it right at the time. I was hating on Virginia all year that year. Well, yeah, you know what? And it's easy to hate on them because they really are a team that wins 62 to 57. Yes. I always <laughs> joke their offense is they're not even top 300 in the nation sometimes. It was Colgate last year. I think Colgate or Stony Brook, both of those teams. And, and Ohio State was the team that lost. Mm. I know because oh, I said, uh, Oral Roberts. Yeah. Stony Brook. I think that's the creamery that makes that French vanilla that I use. <laughs> I live right next to Stony Brook. I live literally like 10 minutes away from Stony Brook. Well, she also brought up Colgate. Errol and I actually interviewed their coach a couple yes. of years ago. So. Great guy, too. Yeah. Great guy. The one thing that your listeners won't get Saturdays is they won't get our prep races. So what they're going to have to do is we're going to have to figure out a way. Because trust me, over the next till the first Saturday of May, between Wes and I, and, and not as much John, right? John's not really doing the horses as much. We're going to be betting some horses, and we're going to have some Kentucky Derby futures, and we're, we're going to have some winners out there, but uh, we're going to have to do that probably through social media. We'll do it on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network page. Oh, I love it. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. That sounds like uh, Vince McMahon right there. We use on our show, we use that audio intro. <laughs> I love that thing. Whoever did that did a great job. Was that you, Speedy, or did you get that? Oh, well? no, I have, a, I have a professional do that. That was really well done. It just, it's great. You've heard it, Wes. It's just great. I love it. It's like, it's, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we'll ever beat our debate hour drop, though. <laughs> They've never heard it. I'm going to have to give it to the them. The best drop of all time, though. <laughs> all right, so when I look at the NHL and I say to myself, okay, if I was going to bet the NHL, what did I do? I don't call up Bears, Wes. I call up Blackhawk, Wes. That's what I do. I got two games. I got the Islanders, Montreal, and you mentioned the Islanders not scoring. They don't play real well. And you got the Rangers at Ottawa. Both of these games are Sunday. And I look at the last few games. I've, I've got some opinions since the All-Star break, but I want to throw it to Wes because he's the hockey guy. I'll talk about the Rangers in the Ottawa matchup. Ottawa, surprisingly, if you look at their big picture, they, they're one of the worst teams in the league as far as goals allowed. But if you go a little bit closer to, to recent and you go back, say, 10 or 15 games, they're not allowing a ton of goals at home, other than against really big opponents. They got shut out two to nothing by Pittsburgh and, and Boston, but that's two to nothing, and that's only two goals. That's a hard fought game. That's a goal and an empty netter. They're keeping themselves in these games. The Rangers have one of the healthiest rosters in the league as far as starters go. And when Panarin gets going, there is just something wild about the amount of goals that that team scores. But 
the Rangers are scary because when they lose a game, they do one of two things. They either come back and hang four plus goals the following week, or they lose a second. That's the pattern with them. They'll either lose two in a row, and then on the third, they come back. So when you look at this matchup, I think the safest way to play it is swallow the odds. New York is coming off a loss. They lost a game they should not have lost to Detroit. They're going to Ottawa. Again, Ottawa puts up a tough fight, but I think that the play here is eat the odds. It's minus 165. You might even catch better than that, but I would say New York is going to get a goal in the first period. Go over 0.5 first period, and then you can feel out the game. If for some reason Ottawa scores first, you're going to find value on the Rangers because they don't believe that the Rangers are going to lose this game. So just listen to what I wrote down, right? That's what he said, and I'm so proud right now. Like, I'm a good student, you know? (laughs) All right, Ottawa, I got the New York Islanders of the Atlantic Division. How's that? Is that a good description? (laughs) They have won two of three. I got my own thoughts to my team. Three or less in eight and nine, and two goals or less in seven of ten. So, yeah, you're definitely not going to be taking the puck line with the favorite in this game, right, Wes? There's no value in it. It's minus one and a half. The only puck line you would take is once the puck drops, you take somebody minus half a puck for regulation. But that is proven to be a sucker bet in a lot of places. A game that's tied to the end. They don't play the same. There's a one goal difference. They play totally different. And it's because they know what they've got. Some teams relish overtime because that gives them an advantage that they might not get. Not the Islanders, I'll tell you that. They're one of the worst overtime teams in the NHL right now. And that's why the Islanders don't have the points right now. And that has a lot to do with missing as many games. And they're playing catch-up because I think they're seven games behind the Rangers, five games behind Boston, and all the teams ahead of them. So the Islanders are not out of it, but the way everything is moving, I just can't see the Islanders finding a way into the playoffs unless something crazy well, happens. That's a great you know. point. I'm on the Ottawa game, but I'm not betting Ottawa. I'm betting against Ottawa. And I'm just using Ottawa as an example. Mm. The Canadian football, we had two of them this year. We're just betting against this team. But those teams don't make the playoffs. We had a couple guys over the years that were great a small basketball conference handicappers. But the only team that makes the tournament, well, now there's like four or five tournaments, but the only team that makes a big tournament is the winner of that conference tournament. And so you don't get to keep betting these teams a lot unless they're in the, one of those smaller tournaments. When you're betting against a team that stinks, the gravy train runs out playoff time. Errol, you're right. The Islanders are far out of it. And, and it's a shame because I enjoyed watching them play in the playoffs last year. They played with a lot of urgency and they were low-scoring games. And they just played with this just gritty defensive approach like I really thought they were just fun to watch them in Calgary are very similar but I agree with what you're saying Chad some of these matchups some of these teams like we've been on St. John I know John has called out Marquette a couple times mm-hmm. Wyoming is another one that he's been on big sleeper Wyoming you, yeah teams that you, you find random little places that they're going to cash for you and they're not going to make this tournament and so now you're looking at some of these matchups that that we've gotten used to so the, the tournament's a totally different thing I don't know what the bet is when it comes to the betting line If the Islanders win 10 games in a row, there's a possibility they make the playoffs. The only way the Islanders make the playoffs is at the trade deadline. They get a player or two offensively that gives them a little bit of a boost. And it has happened before. Lou Lamorello has been GM of the year back-to-back years. And one of the reasons why is because he's made the right trades at the trade deadline to get this team back in order and get them over the top. Being what has happened to them with the COVID-19 and missing all those games and not playing at home for a whole month 
in the beginning of the season. It affected them. I think if the Islanders make the playoffs, nobody wants to play them. Nobody in the Eastern Conference would want to play this team because they're very good defensively sound. The bottom of the Eastern Conference is bad. Like Montreal, and who would have ever thought Montreal from the Stanley Cup Finals? Greatest fluke of all time. They have 25 points, and New Jersey's on the bottom too, but the bottom has got such a small amount of points that it's created this separation from the middle to the five and six, or even the seven and the eight. So the Islanders are 16 points out of it. I mean, they got to. They don't win eight in a row, and then they're hoping for Boston and Washington to lose. That's uh, not happening. Nah, I don't think so either. Let's talk about out. that game because I've got some notes on that game. I got notes that the Islanders aren't scoring. You guys mentioned that. But Montreal just beat St. Louis. But before that, they had lost nine straight games, and they've scored three or less in nine of ten of those games. So I guess they scored more when they beat St. Louis. Hmm. But when I see a team that's not scoring like that, does that mean that the, the home team has an advantage, even though they stink too? Wes, what do you think? I look at two games in a row with a goalie change. That's my go-to system. Any team that's on the road for the second night in a row and there's a goalie change, I go there. Montreal, they can't lose them all. And there's no point in them to continuing to win. And they're just so bad that I just don't think they're going to. St. Louis didn't take them seriously. The Blues can put up a lot of points. So now they're going to go to New York. I think that the Islanders are going to win the game. No value on the money line. It's minus 220. The right play is you take the under at five and a half you're safe there. And I think if you get an early goal, it'll go up to six and a half. And I think you jump on the under again and you probably walk away. When you do that, when you lose your initial bet and then you end up three and one, it's a revolutionary way to look at how you handle sports betting. Because again, all the handicapping you do in the world is past tense. Once they drop the puck or tip off, whatever way they start the sport, you're betting. It don't matter, right? They could shoot a gun in the horse <laughs> races or in the Olympics. Then you're dealing with what's happening right this second. Mm. And hockey, we've had so many times where, what, two minutes, three minutes later, we make it play. We decide, hey, we've watched seven minutes. We think this is going to happen. Boom, two minutes later it happens. And it's happened live Thursday nights on Sports Betting Weekly on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh, what a sale. Well, Moneyline Mania is now in the books for this week. Wes and Chaz, man, they're very accomplished bettors and, and guys that love to handicap and do the things that they do. They make a lot of money. By the way, all the things and all the props that they give you guys, you absolutely got to check them out. Sports Betting Weekly on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every Thursday. Uh, fantastic show. These guys know what they're talking about. And you have a chance every single week to win money. Actually, actually, Errol, remember, we're in hiatus now because we stop after football. That's right, until March re- Madness. So if they want us, they got no choice but to come to you. That's right. <laughs> they're going to be coming to you soon because they're going to be reaching out to you. and They're making money on this show and, and 15 minutes of fame that you guys have every single week. They're going to be reaching out to you because we're going to be promoting. It, it's great. I really appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Always be cashing, man. Always be cashing, guys. Absolutely. Sports betting weekly, a.k.a. Moneyline Mania, Chaz and Wes. Every single week, these guys know what they're talking about, and they have their understanding on what you need to do to make the bet and make the right bet to make you guys some money. So definitely keep listening to our show, listening to them. They're as good as anybody in the business. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we get into something to bet on? And that's basketball. And why not bet on James Harden coming back at the end of the All-Star break? I'd put a couple of bucks on it or not. What is it going to take for Ben Simmons to step on the court? Hmm. I wonder. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crush. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show. Oh, I like this. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Snoop Doggy Dog. I love it. Yes. I will say this. I wasn't a big fan of the halftime show. I, I thought Eminem really rocked it with singing Lose Yourself. I think that really fit the notability of what he was going to pick on um, what song he was going to sing at the Super Bowl. I think it was the perfect song, especially one of his biggest hits from 8 Mile. And then Dr. Dre. If I made bets on Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, what they were going to rap and what they were going to put bring out on one of their songs, I would have nailed it. I knew exactly what they were going to come out with. So... Wasn't surprised. It really wasn't. Mary J. I was really surprised she didn't come up with Real Love. I thought that was her biggest hit. That was something that really stood out. And 50 Cent popping out saying, go, go, go. And all everybody kept talking about is how heavy 50 Cent got. And how he was upside down. <laughs> Who cares? Really? And why was 50 Cent there when he wasn't even being promoted? It just shows you what Dr. Dre is all about. He brings his guys out and it promotes his guys. No offense to Dr. Dre, but he should have just kept it to the roster that he was going to bring out from the beginning. Anyways, I want to get into some basketball. And James Harden had his little press conference with the 76ers being introduced there. This is his... Second time being introduced in, in two and a half years. One time with the Brooklyn Nets where everybody thought he was going to finish his career there. And then he pushed his way out as quick as he showed up there. Maybe because Kevin Durant didn't pick him on his All-Star team. It doesn't make any sense. And James Harden wasn't even going to be playing in the All-Star game because of injury. I, a lot of people think that he was hurt by it. Now, I, I did also hear that Kevin Durant and James Harden really haven't been speaking a lot for the last past six months. So I don't know if it was the Kyrie Irving thing. I don't know if it's Kevin Durant, but he just didn't want to be there. And Ben Simmons obviously didn't want to be with the 76ers, so it was a match made in heaven. It's so funny. Eric Martini wrote to me the other day telling me, you see, I told you, even without the best players on the team, this made the Nets better with Seth Curry and uh, obviously Andre Drummond. What, on two games? (laughs) First of all, two games, they beat the Knicks and they lost against the Wizards. A Wizards team that if the playoffs were to begin right now, they're not even in the playoffs. And they didn't just lose, they got their butts whipped. It's so funny. He says, I told you, they're not a championship team, but this is going to make them better. It didn't make them better. James Harden is a better player than Ben Simmons, okay? It's a fact. It's not even close. And you want to add Seth Curry? Yeah, Seth Curry's a good player. He's a nice player. He's not Steph. He's a good shooter, not a great shooter. He's a better defensive player than his brother, no question. Not by much, though. (laughs) But not by much. So what makes him a great fit with the Nets? Now, it gives you automatic offense off the bench. It does. When Kevin Durant comes back and Kyrie Irving plays and Ben Simmons comes back, is Seth Curry going to score a lot of points? He's going to give you seven, eight points. He's not going to give you what you think you're going to get out of him. And Andre Drummond, he looked good against the Knicks. And then he was like, blah, against the Wizards. Andre Drummond, he was at one point one of the top three, top four centers in the league. He's a great rebounder. That's it. He can't shoot a free throw. He gets to the line a lot, but he can't shoot a free throw. And he's not a good shooter. What is the benefit of having Andre Drummond? Maybe the Nets should just hire Rick Barry as an assistant coach to have Ben Simmons and Andre Drummond shoot underhand free throws. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's so funny when you listen to different people talk about this trade and who won and who lost. And honestly, it doesn't really matter because all in all, 
The 76ers are going to be a better team with James Harden. The 76ers are beating good teams. They beat Milwaukee the other day without James Harden and without Seth Curry and without Andre Drummond. And Joel Embiid's on a whole nother level right now. He's playing on a whole nother level. You bring in James Harden, who's going to give you between 22 and 25 points a game, and he's going to give you rebounding, and he's going to give you passing. Who do you think is going to win on this trade? Because they've been playing without Ben Simmons all year. And Seth Curry was giving you 14, 15 points a game on the 76ers. So you're getting 10 more points with James Harden. You're getting probably about 7, 8 more assists with James Harden. And you're getting about 8 more rebounds with James Harden. So who's going to win on this trade? Come on, guys. I'm not taking shots at the Brooklyn Nets. I'm a Knicks fan, yes. But I'm speaking fact here. Why is everybody sitting here and saying, well, the Nets won this trade? I was hearing Nets in a landslide, too, from some people on Twitter. I think the Sixers, I'm not going to say they won in a landslide, but I'll say they won the trade. They definitely won the trade. Not a landslide. Nobody, You don't know what the landslide's going to be until James Harden and Ben Simmons comes back. Well, yeah. Also, I like Seth Curry off the bench. I think he's played very well. He's also also played well in the playoffs, too, with Portland. He played well in the playoffs with the Mavericks, even though they didn't have a lot of great teams there. And... The Nets might benefit off of that kind of thing considering what they had off the bench last year when Joe Harris was shooting up bricks and Landry Shaman and other guys like that were struggling to them. So maybe that's a little bit of an advantage for them. And Andre Drummond is a good rebounder, which they do need. But you're right. He definitely has a regressed as an overall big man for what he was four or five years ago. From the Sixers standpoint, you do lose Drummond as a little bit of an insurance policy if Embiid gets hurt. And he has done that a lot in the playoffs. It is so ridiculous. Logically. If you look at numbers and you look at both teams and you look at where the Nets are and where the 76ers are, the Nets are barely in a playoff spot right now. And the 76ers right now, they're making the playoffs as a fourth seed without Ben Simmons, without Seth Curry, without James Harden right now. They're winning. They're beating good teams, beating the Milwaukee Bucks. What are they, a second seed right now? Milwaukee is the number five seed right now. Oh, I'm sorry. But they're, they're all like tied on percentage points. Philly, Cleveland, and Milwaukee, three, four, five. They're all technically two and a half games back. So From one to five, they're very close to one another. Right. Miami's what, three games ahead of all of them? Miami and Chicago are tied for one and two at... 38 and 21, and the other three teams that I just mentioned are two and a half games back, and then the Celtics are six at four and a half back. I can't believe how well the Celtics have just started to play. They traded away a bunch of players, and they're playing better basketball too. And they haven't gotten any better. They've gotten worse. Figure that one out. Maybe they're figuring out the offense now with the new coach, and Tatum's actually playing better now, so that's what you expected. Tatum and, and Jalen Brown to be special, but Again, one of those guys are going to have to go if they go after Bradley Beal because there's no way Bradley Beal is just going to be given away. And I listen to Jeff all the time. What are they going to trade for Bradley Beal? He's still under contract. I think he's under two-year contract right now. Uh So how are they going to get Bradley Beal and not trade Jalen Brown or Tatum? They're going to have to trade one or the other. So I don't know how you think it benefits if they went after Bradley Beal. As far as the All-Star break is concerned in the New York Knicks is, they're definitely our trade partners, okay? They need to trade, trade, trade. If you could trade Julius Randle, trade him in the offseason. Because obviously they couldn't trade him at the trade deadline on Julius Randle because no team was offering him what they wanted for Julius Randle. Now Julius Randle is having an offseason. Maybe this is a thought in their mind to say, you know what, we'll wait until the offseason and see what is the best offer that we can get for him. I do not see Julius Randle a long player here with the Knicks, uh, especially when Tom Thibodeau is on the hot seat now. Crazy to say that where he was coach of the year last year, 
And now all of a sudden this year, he's on the hot seat. Nick's management is not happy with Tom Thibodeau in where this team is just completely transitioned to. He's not playing the young players. That's another reason why Worldwide West and, and Rose are not happy about. They bring in these young players. You don't see enough of Obi Toppin. You don't see enough of Emmanuel Quickly. You don't see enough of Grimes. You don't see enough of McBride. You don't see enough of any of these guys. And they're getting restless right now, and they're playing these Older players like Randall, and when Rose comes back, he's going to play more minutes. And, and Kemba Walker, what's Kemba Walker done for the Knicks Taj this year? Gibson, yeah. Taj Gibson. This is a young team playing a bunch of veterans that are a bunch of washed-up players. So I think that moving forward after the All-Star break, the Knicks are going to have to decide who they are, where they want to position themselves in this lottery, because really on the back end of the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference, especially in the Western Conference right now, the Knicks are like – Five, six games ahead of a lot of these teams that are really bad. Obviously, we don't know where the lottery... The Knicks, they could be the eighth or ninth worst team and still win the lottery. We've seen this. Yeah, I think I think Memphis, when they got John Moran, I think they went from seven to two or something like that. So it's happened. Yeah. I would rather see the Knicks lose more games where it benefits them a little bit more to give them more balls to get the opportunity to draft in the top five top four because that's where they want to draft this is a pretty good draft a top end type of draft and they can get themselves a really nice player to fit in with rj barrett and some of the young players uh moving forward and maybe a star something that they've been desperately waiting to have when it comes to the trade deadline they definitely were looking at certain point guards or other young big men that really just weren't tradable we were talking many off seasons with carl anthony towns he could be rumored to go to the knicks with all the kentucky connections and the timberwolves got good this year now they're a seven seed and they're not going to trade him now probably. not now now, but until the maybe off-season. in the off season, yeah. yeah, we'll see on that. I and can then, see it. And then the other one that was rumored a couple of weeks ago was De'Aaron Fox, but then they trade their other two backcourt players yeah. to the Pacers for whatever reason, and so that kind of means they were committed to sticking with De'Aaron Fox. So just think Knicks- about how bad Indiana has been all season long, and how bad they are right now, and how good they're going to be going into the off season because. They're still a lottery team, a draft lottery team with all the young players that they have. They have a bunch of trade chips that they could trade away in the offseason. And they could possibly win the draft and get the number one pick. Who's better than them? A lot of nice young pieces there for sure. And a great coach, great defensive yes. coach in Rick Carlisle. So the Knicks just really, there wasn't a scenario there out there for them to do that. And the way Randall has played this year where he's been an isolation player that hasn't worked well with these young players, a lot of these young teams that have a lot of depth, probably don't want to risk that kind of thing in terms of a culture change. A team like Memphis, that has a lot of good depth, young players off the bench. A team like the Suns in the West, in the Eastern Conference, Cleveland, Chicago, teams that have all these young players are not going to want to take that kind of chance. In terms of Thibodeau, it's definitely not going to be as awkward as uh, Dwayne Casey winning Coach of the Year after he got fired, but still very uh, big extreme going from Coach of the Year to now on the hot seat all of a sudden. I like Thibodeau. I wouldn't fire him, but in terms of his adjustment, he has to be able to adjust to play these young players more, realize the bench is playing well, which is something that I mentioned a month ago. You don't have to rotate everybody out. Change the starting lineup to got players once in a while. Try something new. And I don't think he ever really adjusted to that. And eventually his stubbornness has taken over to the point where they never evolved as a team. The Knicks are now blowing all these big leads. You were saying, what, they blew four 25-point leads or whatever mm-hmm. it was? One against the Thunder, this week against the Nets. It's not a good look for a guy that prides himself on defense and prides himself on finishing games, which the Knicks did a lot last year, and they haven't been doing this year. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into some baseball conversation. It looks like Matt Harvey might be striking even longer after the strike is over. He went from the dark night to the Joker. Uh, I went to the dark night to always being the Joker. So anyways, when we come back, we'll get into this whole Tyler Skagg situation. Just an absolute horrific ending to this whole thing and this whole case. And we'll get into baseball strike and some hockey when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch.
I'm your host, Alan Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I love that track. I really do. I need a hot stop, maybe can be there. Yeah, I like it. As you guys know, you can download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, I'll tell you who's not hot, and that's Matt Harvey. He's on the hot seat, that's for sure. <laughs> he admitting he was feeding Tyler Skaggs uh, some prescription drugs when he was with the Angels. Speedy, you're a big baseball fan. When you heard this story, uh, you're a big Med fan. He was once called the Dark Knight. Now he's going to be called the Dark Dirt because that's where he's heading. He's going to be heading down and deep, six feet under, and he might not be playing baseball anymore for any major league team, especially hearing this story. Yeah, his fall from grace with the Mets at the end of his career to what he's become even off the field, too. So this kind of thing, not surprising based off of that kind of thing. Obviously, the drugs were being administered at first from Eric Kay, who's now been indicted in that case. He's going to be sentenced to a minimum 20 years in prison now with that, the Angels communications director. But Matt Harvey also was encouraging Tyler Skaggs to also take some of the other drugs he'd gotten. A lot of things I'd never even heard of, too, from painkillers and opioids, but even some of these new foreign drugs that I never even heard of, but there's a whole whole thing with that too. And if Matt Harvey's being one encouraging that kind of thing, he's going to get suspended. And it seems like based on a report that came out a couple days ago that he will be suspended for the whole season from what it seems like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they do end up having a season. So Matt Harvey's definitely in a whole lot of trouble with that. Obviously, Kay's going to be the one prosecuted with that because he was also giving the drugs in addition to Harvey, to Tyler Skaggs, to Cam Bedrosian, to Blake Parker, who are all pitchers, Mike Moran, another pitcher, and uh, CJ Crone, who was the first base DH now with the Angels, now with the Rockies, I believe. So a lot of these other players, and who knows what other figures in that organization were covering up this kind of thing, too. The Angels, we know, is dysfunctional from a baseball standpoint. They don't know how to build a team. They don't know how to make trades. They give out such terrible contracts. And now, from a covering up a potential scandal like this, who knows if there's any front office executives, ex-GMs, the How about great whatever. players like Mike Trout involved yeah. with it? And now, the other end of this, too, who says this this kind of thing doesn't force these other players to demand a trade now, too? The Angels, a lot of people have been saying they should trade Mike Trout anyway, just to rebuild mm-hmm. and try to get as much as you can. And I'm now, one of them. Now with Shohei Otani winning MVP, who He's going to want to stay there, too. He might demand himself out, too, of the midst of this whole scandal. If it does loom larger, if there's guys in this organization that create a stench, if they recover up for K. It's a big, dirty fart. That's what I would say. And Harvey's going to be sitting at the end of the fart because it's going to be burning a hole in his stomach. This is horrible. It's going to really hit hard. You talk about... Where this team was at one point, they won a World Series. This was an organization with Vladimir Guerrero at one point and so much talent. And you have Mike Trout, arguably the best player in all of baseball, one of the best players we've ever seen. And now you look at this team. Where is this team at? Where is this ownership at? And and management, this is a complete disgrace. You look at the season, and right now they're trying to figure things out. There's so much going on on trying to negotiate deals, especially for the rookie contracts and arbitrating and paying these players before arbitration. Minor league deals. Minor league deals where minor league players should be making more money. I mean, they're making like fifty thousand a year. They're trying to boost it up to a little bit over a hundred thousand or a hundred and fifty thousand, where these players can actually be making some kind of money to support a family. Playing in the minor leagues for what ten years, and you're making fifty thousand a year and traveling around. You can't support a family like that. You can't even have a family. So it's so interesting. 
interesting uh, on a way baseball is figuring this out and how they're going to move forward. And I wouldn't bet that this is going to be good because you have a stupid commissioner running that organization <laughs> in Rob Manford. And could we please have 2024 sooner than later? Because that's when Rob Manford's contract is up and maybe Theo Epstein can take over. Somebody that actually knows what he's doing. Maybe Rob Manford and the Angels organization will both be forced out. <laughs> uh, I hope so because Rob Manford has just made this game into a joke. And now they're talking about bringing in 14 teams in the playoffs. It's ridiculous. How about we have 22 teams in the playoffs? That would be great. We'll have a round robin. It's ridiculous. You work so hard. You play for a full season. And I remember there were a team in the 80s, teams that would win 100 games and wouldn't make the playoffs. Right. Now, all of a sudden, if you win 88 games, you can make the playoffs. Oh, was it the shortened season, like 1981, with the, the lockout of that year? The Reds were like a 100-win pace or close to 100 wins, and they they didn't get the, in the playoffs, and somehow the Dodgers got in instead for whatever reason. It is absolutely ridiculous. Ron Manford has ruined the game right in front of our eyes. The DH in the National League, that should have been implicated or brought into the game a long time ago. It protects the pitchers because I think I always thought the American League had the advantage with the DH. Now it helps out some of the older players in the National League, some of the players that are not good positional players, defensive positional players where they can play every day and hit every day. It should have been brought into the National League. I know a lot of people don't like it because they like the old style of game, but the game is completely different when it comes to that with these pitchers throwing 100 miles per hour and playing every fifth day and they're throwing every single pitch to throwing between 95 and 100 miles per hour, your arms are going to go. And then you got to hit. You trip on your own feet going to first base or second. It, it's not safe. And that's why I think this should have been brought into the National League quicker. Besides some of the other rules, I, I think that there should be some kind of negotiation and it should be moving faster and sooner than later. From a strategy standpoint, I always like the difference in the both leagues. I actually think it makes the interleague and the World Series strategy very interesting. But now you're seeing teams in general just build more depth as a whole anyway, where teams are rotating players, playing the matchups, situational hitting, stuff like that, even with just everyday lineups. So the pure DH is not really the same kind of thing anymore. You're going to have different guys platoon into DH spots if you have enough roster depth, which a lot of the top teams do now. It's not really as much of a top-heavy star. You have to have three stars, then you could get away with six iffy hitters. It's more of a balanced team. Look at the way the Braves won. They had all, all the depth in the outfield. The infield, 30 home runs or near 30 home run guys. The Dodgers now, look at all the depth they build and that's the way to win now in today's game you don't really win as much with the stars and then you could just get away with everything else kind of like you saw with the Giants and other teams like that that had a couple key pieces and then they just changed it and the DH in both leagues now will reflect that yeah that's why I think as we move further in the negotiations and I mean further because they're they're slowly moving hopefully they move a lot faster because there are stories coming out that the players want a 162-game season. I can't see it happen. To finish up these negotiations, this has to be cleaned up in the next two to three weeks. If it isn't, you're going to miss games because you got to go through spring training. These pitchers are going to have to get their reps, and these hitters are going to have to get their reps. You can't just go into the season and say, hey, we're going to just play in games. This is how players get hurt. This is a multi-billion dollar industry, and these players get a lot of money. And they're guaranteed. It's not like the NFL where the only guarantee is a signing bonus. This is all guaranteed money. You're talking about Mike Trout that's making $400 million. If he gets hurt like he's been getting hurt, you're losing about $38, $39 million a year where he's sitting on his ass and he's racking in the money. You don't want to see that. So I think baseball needs to protect their players and they need to move this further and faster so these players can get on the field. Hockey, there's really nothing to say much about the Islanders except 
they got to keep winning. They're so far behind. I think they're 16 points out of a playoff spot. They have to hope that Boston loses a significant amount of games. They got to lose four or five games in a row, and the Islanders got to win eight to play catch up with them. And being that there's only like, what, 32 games left in the season, it's still a significant amount of games. That's not saying much. And the Islanders have not gotten on one of these roles where you see them win five, six, seven, eight games in a row. They've won a game. They've lost a game. They've won a game. They lost a game. They win two games. They lose three games. They're not on those streaks where you could say, oh, this team can catch the Rangers. This team can catch the Washington Capitals. I really don't see it. Yeah, they only have four games at hand right now in comparison to what they had at, at certain points of the season now. 16 points they've got to make up with the Bruins. Now, the Bruins, they have been rumored that they might consider at the right price trading some of their older players and consider selling because they do need to get goaltending help badly because Tuka Rask now re-retired and their other young guys, they've been good at certain points. But still, that could maybe open the door if they do end up selling some pieces. But, again, it's still going to be unlikely as a whole because they still have a nice core there that has been competitive at certain points. In terms of the Islanders, they're in a weird spot when it comes to making a trade because they have all these veteran pieces that they could try to deal just to get some draft picks for that haven't worked out. Parise, Chara, guys like that. I don't know how much value they're going to have. But they're also in a position, though, too, with all the young players, the talent that they have in their farm system where they can still try to buy as well. If another team is reluctant to make a big trade like that, they might end up getting beneficiary of a good young piece. Vancouver's been selling a lot of pieces. Buffalo's obviously are going to be selling a lot of pieces. The Flyers, are, it seems like, are on a full-blown fire sale, so maybe they could take advantage of one of those types of teams, too. Mm-hmm. Montreal. There could be a lot of options for the New York Islanders, and Lou Lamorello is not going to sit put. They're a player or two offensively away from winning a Stanley Cup. I think offensively. They need to figure that out. Defensively this year, they haven't been as good, but they're not playing bad hockey. I, I think their defense is getting back to 100% healthy. I know the way the Rangers are playing right now, Islander fans are being like skeptical about Barry Trotz. Please, guys, could, could we stop? It's horrible how you read social media that people think that Barry Trotz should be on a hot seat. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Why? Because Gallant right now is winning with the Rangers. You think that he's been a better option for the Rangers? Listen, teams don't know how... Galan has played, you know, because he hasn't been coaching in the NHL for a couple of years. He takes over a team that has talent, and they're playing good hockey. Do I think the Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup? No. Crazy things have happened before. If their goaltending gets hot, their defense plays better, yeah, the Rangers could win the Stanley Cup. If Montreal could get to the Stanley Cup, anybody can. (laughs) So, is it possible? Yeah. Do Islander fans excited about the Rangers possibly going to a Stanley Cup? Probably not. But the Islanders have their chances, and they're still going to have their chance. They're still a fairly young team. they got a lot of their veteran players that are going to be coming back next year. I think that if they start the season actually playing home games next year. The Islanders will be a dangerous team next year. I really do believe it. I think they have good goaltending. I think Sorokin is going to be a fantastic goalie. I was talking to Dan Riziki. He was taking shots at Sorokin. Oh, I, you know, of course he was. He was saying that Sorokin is not as good as everybody says he is. Da-da-da-da-da. Lerner was a better goaltender when he was here. I mean, this kid is a young kid. He says, well, he's not young. He's 26 years old. He's young in the NHL. Okay, This is his second year. Is his first full year as an Islander. Okay. Leonard's also injury-prone, too. He's, so, he's hurt right now as we speak. So. I, I just think it's ridiculous. I think that the Islanders moving forward are going to have to figure out what they're going to be next year more than what they can do in trying to get into the playoffs this year. Is it a possibility? Yeah. If one of these teams get hurt, one of these players, one of their top two players get hurt, it's a possibility if Boston, they beat the Boston Bruins the other day, it's a possibility. I don't think they have that many games left against Boston. So I think that they're, 
out of luck when it comes to that, but who knows? I'm willing to bet that the chances the Islanders making the playoffs are like 70-30. 70 no, 30 yes. And that's not good odds, okay? No. It's not good odds. So if you're an Islander fan, are you buyers or sellers? I would sell. There are players that you could move. Parisi, Chara, Paul Mary. Maybe if you don't think he fits moving forward, maybe you train Paul Mary. You're one Mary. of those second line guys, too. You could definitely explore Bavillier or Nelson or Absolutely. one of those guys, too. Or Bailey, somebody like that, and bring in some new blood to this team and see if it'll benefit helping out Barzell, who, let's be honest, again, it's another year, another lost year for Barzell because you did not put another player around him that's going to help them win. They don't have another superstar young player that could stay and keep up with this kid and play at at the top of their game. So maybe the Islanders figure that out. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, the final segment of the week. What do we got? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! So we're going to do one per sport with one college football one. Big announcement that happened on Friday, too. The college football playoff structure will be staying with four teams at least until 2026. But buy or sell, they will stay with four teams even longer than that. Not a chance. They're only staying at that because the way the leagues are transitioning with the SEC and the the Big Ten and the the Pac-12, they got to figure out where all this is going to fall. So they're going to give it a little bit more time. And then in 2026, a transition either six or eight teams. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too, just because I think you're also going to see more parity with a lot of these conference expansion type things. You're going to see more with the SEC, uh, especially, and also the, if they do form an alliance, this Big Ten ACC proposed thing, even saw a little more parity this year. How many times did the top four change with the Pac-12, with the Big Ten? There's not as much parity, but there might be going that way, especially with the NIL rules too, so I am going to sell it as well. Buy or sell, neither the Nets or the 76ers will be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> I think the Eastern Conference could go anywhere. And I, I think with the, the Heat the playing the way they are, the Chicago Bulls playing the way they are, and they're getting healthy at the right time, it's going to be hard to, to really bet on this. Sorry, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I like the Bucks. I like the Heat a lot. They're both very deep, experienced teams. I feel like that's going to be the matchup, barring injuries. Both teams are very well coached. The Sixers' death has improved from last year, but Seth Curry and Andre Drummond were also part of that kind of thing too. So where are you going to make that with that? We'll see. James Harden's been bad in the playoffs. Embiid's been injury-prone and kind of streaky. And the Nets... Yeah, their depth's a little better. I still don't trust their coaching. So I am agree with you. I'm going to buy that as well. Buy or sell. This is an interesting rumor. The Islanders have tried to dangle Semyon Varlamov. The Oilers have been interested. Buy or sell. They will make that trade. I think they can make the trade. They're both good trade partners. And, and by the way, the Oilers have very good offensive players that could be available. And they need goaltending. So this could be a good back-and-forth trade. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it just because I don't know what the types of pieces that the Oilers have. Most of their offensive players are young. They might have to give a lot more. And it's a pretty big contract that they're going to have to take on. I heard Tyson Barry is another option that they want to trade to the Islanders. But I don't know that the Islanders would want that contract either. He's more of an offensive-type defenseman. And they have enough defense. So I don't really see it. I don't see how it'll work. I'm going to sell it. Buy or sell. 
Matt Harvey will never play baseball again following that whole incident. I am going to buy it. Matt Harvey's career has just went down the hole, and, and after this Tyler Skagg thing, I think they're going to wash him away and, and just completely put a strike on his name. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I mean, he really hasn't proved anything else on the field to show that he could pitch. Really lost a lot of velocity since the injuries. He's bumped around different teams. And now this whole thing, what type of organization is really going to want to take a chance on that kind of thing for a guy that hasn't pitched? If he's pitching better, okay, but he hasn't. So I'm absolutely buying that, too. All right, last one. One football one. Tom Brady will unretire. The only way he unretires is if San Francisco reaches out to him and says, we need a quarterback. We're a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl, which I believe they are. But they also stamp their name to, uh, and Kyle Shanahan stamped his name to uh, a young quarterback this past draft. So I don't see him coming back. I think he retires. I, great career for Tom Brady. As a Jet fan, I'm not happy. But you tend to respect guys like that five, six years down the road like I did with Michael Jordan. So I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened in that whole saga where we heard, oh, Tom Brady's retiring, and then they said it was a fake report. Then all of a sudden everyone was blaming Adam Schefter. I think we would have heard it at that point if that was the case. It came out three days later, he was retiring. And then if he was unretiring, I think it would have happened then, not three weeks later like it's happening now. Yes, of course it's going to be San Francisco. That's where he wants to play if he does end up playing, but it, it doesn't seem like... Now. They're ready to win. They are ready to win. They have a very good roster. Now they have a lot more depth on the receivers that we, we thought at the beginning of the year, too. The way Debo Samuel played, and even Jawan Jennings, their rookie. And they got pieces, for sure. They're definitely a quarterback and maybe a couple secondary pieces away. I just don't see it happening. I wouldn't think it would have happened already, so I will sell. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody enjoyed this show. Shout out to, I guess you can call him the Nigerian Zeus, Christian Okoye for joining us. Unbelievably great guy. If you missed the interview, you definitely have to check it out. All our interviews have been great. Fantastic, fantastic guy. He'll definitely be on our show again. I hope you guys are listening to the Sports Loudmouths on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and all our great shows. Download our app, iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And shout out to Moneyline Mania, the guys over there, for giving us all the prop bets that you absolutely possibly need. Trust me, guys. Bet on their picks. You will win some money. We'll be back next week with the great guests and Moneyline Mania and and us, me and Speedy Petey. Until then, this is Sarah Marks and the great and pain-in-the-butt Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.